This is Dylan. This is Nick. And you're listening to Hello and welcome to Colloquium. We are here at Nick's apartment with all his beautiful art in the background. Nick is an, a bit of an art connoisseur, so it gives me something to contemplate as we talk. Oh, that was your segue. All right, I got it. So, <laughs> so um, yeah, we were talking before this about, you know, how much money we're going to make with all the listeners that we get here very soon. And uh, I was joking that, you know, with all the money that we're, that I'm going to have, uh, that I would just spend it on a bunch of different pieces of art. So I love art. I think it's totally worth it. And um, Let me uh, clarify. You weren't joking. When we talked about the idea of making money, the first thing Nick immediately went to is, oh, think of all the art I could buy. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, that's all we're in it for is the money. So I figured if we have it, I might as well spend it on something, you know, worth it. Yes. And then all you're <laughs> into money for is the art you can yeah, buy. Exactly Nick right. here, I don't know if I should say this. Nick has two coffee cups in his entire apartment. And there are more than two of us here in the apartment. And only two of us can drink coffee at a time because Nick, Nick uh, does not have, he spends all his money as art and not on coffee cups. Listen, give, give me a reason why I would have more than two coffee mugs in my apartment. So if you had three people over, you could give them all coffee. <laughs> Hang on, man. That was not a hard question that at all. That is definitely not. <laughs> all right, I'm a little embarrassed. That is definitely not a hard question. You're right. I should buy all <laughs> <laughs> It is me. All right. Anyway. You could have asked me to name five reasons. That would have been harder. Name, name five <laughs> reasons. <laughs> Dylan, what are we talking about today? What are we talking about today? <laughs> We're going to talk about the culture of indifference. Hmm. What on earth does that mean? Is that my question to answer? Yeah, I was going to ask you that. Um, this okay. is, I think, did you coin this term, the culture of indifference, or did you get that from somewhere? I definitely did not coin that. No, no, I did not coin this term. I can't tell you who did it. Maybe uh, you did then. Take uh, credit. Okay, maybe so. Odds are it was Bishop Barron. <laughs> no one else. But anyway, yeah. so yeah, the culture of indifference. Um, let's talk about maybe indifference for a second. I think kind of what we mean and what I mean is um, basically lukewarmness. I think the terms are are very synonymous to one another. Um, mm, okay. Uh, so just this idea of not really you know, caring in a passionate way about anything in particular. Um, maybe not – and also maybe not being like – a very good human being, maybe not a very bad human being, just a generally average human being and, mm. you know, everything in your life. That's kind of what I mean by indifference. Um, it's just kind of, um, I don't know, wading along the stream at a very kind of average and, you know, um, unspectacular sort of pace. Okay, great. So I have I have thoughts on this and, and I think I have plenty to contribute, but I'd say this is kind of your thesis. Um about the culture of indifference. And I think it would be fair to say, Nick, that, yeah, you think that people are not passionate enough? I Yes, I totally agree. That's that's the claim you're going to make? Yes. Okay. That's the claim. Why? Um, so first of all, I think I do this to a fault sometimes. But one thing that I, that I do is I, I see the struggles in my own heart and I project them onto people around me. Um, so, which may, may not be that. a fair thing to do sometimes. Um, yeah. but I know, I know I see the complacency and the, the indifference and in, in things that I, I, I do, um, in my own day. Um, and I look around and I see other people having, exhibiting those symptoms that I see yeah. and I say, Hmm, you know, this is, this is an issue that right. I think 
more than just me struggles with. Um, so let me give you kind of an example. Uh, and this is probably a bad example, you know, not the best example, but just on a like general natural virtue standpoint, I struggle with simple things like getting out of bed at my alarm. Mm. Um, I, and you know, brushing my teeth twice a day. Um, mm. my parents are listening. I'm ashamed. But I do. I still struggle with brushing my teeth twice. Which a day. one's harder, the morning or the evening? Um, definitely the evening. Yeah. Okay. Definitely really? The evening. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Uh, anyway, I'm a big evening brusher. <laughs> but I'm really? sorry. This, this is not not the point of this podcast. Right. Are you a big evening brusher? <laughs> talk about that after the podcast. <laughs> no. But I, <laughs> I, no. But basic things like that. That would be an easy fix if I were to care enough to commit to just building that virtue to brush my teeth twice sure, a day. Sure. Easy fix. I could say, all right, 10 p.m., I'm going to brush my teeth every night. That's what I'm going to do. Um, I haven't decided to care enough about that to just make that an action, to make that a virtue I'm going right. to exhibit. Um, wow. That's just a really a small example that I know other people struggle with because I've talked about them with it. You know, we talk about brushing our teeth all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Not, but we, we talk, you know, we talk about things like this, you know, yeah, I really want to do this and I really do want to do that. And there's this inability to enact on these wants that we have. Sure. Sure. Um, and and I, I think that's rampant in, in our culture. And that's kind okay. of my, my thesis and my argument. Um, I see it in my own heart, I guess, is the general. Yeah, I think I think that's a fascinating claim. Um, and one thing you said that stuck with me or that struck me was that you said at the beginning that like you see in your own heart and you think that reveals something about maybe human nature as a whole. And I think, well, yeah, one person can't speak for every human being ever. I think there's a really important truth to that. And that, you know, I think back to, if you listen to the soliloquium, the, the episode we did where I was reading a chapter from GK Chesterton, he talks about how he talks about this idea of the madman, the, the lunatic. And he says that he sees the madman in himself. And that's how he knows, like other than just by talking to people, he knows that he has a little bit of that tendency in him. And so I think there's something we can do, whether, yeah, with any vice or virtue and realize that like there is a sense in which our experience, our human experience reflects that of others. Okay. And so, gosh, question, are people not passionate enough? It's tough because on the one hand, I think I would agree with that. Um, you know, I think you use the word indifference at the beginning too. Um, and I think that's scriptural. The opposite of love is, is in a sense, indifference. And, you know, Jesus says, you know, of the lukewarm that he will vomit them out of his mouth. You know, yeah. um, it's, there's an aversion that God has to lukewarmness more so than to this totally being against him. And so in a sense, I'd say a culture that is far away from Christ is probably an apathetic culture. It's probably a a culture that is not very passionate. But then on the other hand, Nick, I see, you know, the current political climate or really any political climate for that matter. There's division. There's so much passionate arguing. Um, and so in a certain sense, I would look at that and say, well, maybe people are passionate in a sense. Maybe they're passionate about the wrong things or in the wrong way. But there is, I don't know, would you say there is? I don't know. How would you reconcile that with your thesis maybe? Yeah, I don't know. I guess I'm not convinced that what we see in the media is actually really reality um, in, a, in, a, <laughs> in a lot of senses. I, I mean, I, okay, people are yelling and shouting on the TV, but I, you know, um, 
I, I guess we need I guess we need to you know kind of we need proof that those people actually care about what they're yelling yeah. about you yeah. know um, I, I, I don't I'm not convinced that that's true okay um, you know and I, um, another thing too is um, yeah I, I guess personally uh, I don't know very many people that are willing to engage in heated you know arguing discussions mm-hmm. with let, let, let's say that is a sign of passion let's say that that's, that's a sign of passion uh, I don't know a lot of people that are willing to get engage in serious you know passionate discussion about you know these sort of things that you're claiming people are passionate about I just don't I don't see them around me maybe, maybe I'm just not in right. the, I'm not putting myself into those circles but um, mm-hmm. again I'm just not convinced that there's you know that many you know relatively that you know care about important issues yeah yeah I think I think it's an interesting question to think about but and i think maybe we can come back to it but i think we might answer that as well in the course of this um so let's see where it goes a thing a quote that i think is going to help help us get there um understanding yeah passion and how does that play into our life how does that play in the spiritual life how does that you know are people passionate or not is a quote from c.s lewis and this is from the weight of gory uh, and I think you actually introduced me to this, Nick. I mean, I had heard of it, but it's it's basically an essay, like eight pages or something. Um, very easy to read. Highly recommend. I think we might have mentioned it on this podcast before, Maybe too. So. Yeah. But without further ado, I will read this quote from C.S. Lewis. He says, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We have ha- We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition, when infinite joy is offered us, like an, ignor- like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Huh. So C.S. Lewis talks about this, this infinite joy that's offered to us, and his argument is that we are we are chasing after things that aren't really that great. They might seem great to us. They might We might think they make us passionate, maybe you could say. Um, but the passion that the Lord desires for us to have, the desire that he desires for us to have is actually much stronger mm-hmm. than these things that we, we cling to. That's a really good uh, – I, I feel my kind of opinion changing a little bit, and here kind of here's what I mean. I think maybe more what I mean about the culture of indifference or, you know, people aren't as passionate is that people still have passionate energy. They're still putting mm-hmm. their passionate energy towards, towards something. It just may be the wrong thing. Sure. Yeah, but maybe it's, um, I don't want to take back what I said completely because I still think that's somewhat true, but there is that element also of, you know, someone who has a lot of, you know, energy to put towards something, you know, they, they choose to put it towards something else instead mm-hmm. of, you know, that, you know, running towards heaven like they should. Right. So I think kind of that's what maybe C.S. Lewis is getting at a little bit and what you were saying as well as a comment to that quote. Yeah. And I think that's a theme you'll find throughout C.S. Lewis, whether that's in his fiction or even in a work like The Abolition of Man. He very much talks about, yeah, how we're disordered in our passions and it's something that's core to him because I think he has a really strong understanding of human nature, a strong understanding of the Christian conception of human nature in particular. And so I think 
I want to identify a couple things. First, you know, C.S. Lewis speaks of infinite joy. And I want to kind of identify what exactly he means by that. So what is this, this infinite joy that he says is offered to us that we're not reaching for because we're pleased by lower things? Yeah, far too easily pleased, yeah. Um, just a couple thoughts maybe. Infinite joy. Um, so I think of just deep peace, first of all, before I you know, think of mm-hmm. infinite joy is just this, um, this sense of you know, deep interior sense of direction is where I'm supposed to be going and what I'm supposed to be putting my energy towards. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's a thing I would venture to say a lot of people struggle with, especially in our young adult community maybe is I have all of this you know, fervor to go out and do whatever it is I'm supposed to do. Um, but there's this, this peace lacking this, you know, this, um, yeah, vision lacking to go forth and engage in whatever it is I'm supposed to do. Um, right. Which kind of prevents joy, I think. Um, right. I don't know. Yeah. So I think, I think ultimately infinite joy is heaven, yeah. you know, but I think on, on more, on a more earthly experience, I think that it's, important to realize that we you know he talks about us us wanting things that aren't actually that great like our desires are too weak and the reality is the i think passion comes from actually desiring the things that are best so ultimately who are the most passionate people the saints the saints are properly oriented to desire the things that are best for them um, and I think that's true experientially in my life. I think some of the most passionate people are the holiest people I know. Now, I think there's an appearance of passion that we all ex- experience because or that we all can see because we all have this inner desire to cling to something. Like we desire to have some sort of meaning in our life. And so maybe that's my career. Maybe that's this aspect of justice that I want to make right in the world that like I have this mission, this personal mission, but the reality is, is outside of relationship with God in reality, those things that we desire are all too weak. And so it is the saints who are the most passionate because they're able to, they're the only ones who are able to desire fully the most exciting thing out there, which is eternal relationship with God, eternal intimacy and eternal love right everything else we experience and desire is less than that and is fleeting so what do you mean what do you mean by being passionate what do you mean mm-hmm. um can you elaborate that's a good question because i think on the one hand maybe it's it's self-explanatory i think hmm, i think maybe experientially so my experience with passion i think i grew up maybe not seeing a lot of passion and maybe to talk about a theme we've mentioned before, but like the, yeah, like adolescence. It's a period where like you're kind of self-conscious and afraid to show passion about something or afraid to like show excited because you might be judged by it, right? We all have that even beyond adolescence. And I think one of the times I remember experiencing something that kind of broke me out of that mindset, that self-consciousness, that guardedness, um, was experiencing, I think, really good community. And I saw that through, particularly through like the awakening retreats that I was a part of. And I remember one of the things that struck me is I saw people that I'd say were full of life. Um, They were living for 
Christ and for the church in a way that I just never seen lived so vibrantly before. So I think it's hard to describe exactly what it is, but I think when you, when you see it, when you see that passion and that passion is beyond just like a political motivation, you know, cause people can be passionate about politics, but it isn't inspiring in the same way as somebody who is passionate about loving others and loving God. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you use the word inspiring. I think that's important. People who are passionate are inspired, you know, in some sense mm-hmm. to be passionate about whatever they're passionate about. Um, I also think, too, people that are passionate have a reason for their passion. They have a, they have a reason why they're passionate that, about that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's It was an experience that they had that they feel moved to share. Um, they've been convinced intellectually of something that they are now moved to, you know, go and, you know, seek after. Um, right. They have a, a good, a, a good um, foundational reason why they, they're going to put their full energy towards whatever they're, whatever they're doing. So mm-hmm. those are a couple of things that come to mind that kind of help with passion, I think. Um, right. Yeah. Um, I, I guess for me, as a quick tangent, I guess for me, um, thinking about, um, I don't know, I, conversations that I've had kind of in, um, maybe, maybe when there's an opportunity to have a spiritual conversation about the Lord, mm-hmm. you know, th- there's kind of a, I feel as though around, you know, the, the U S Catholic community, that's a really general statement, but around a lot of parishes, um, there are communities in which we're totally dis, you know, not attuned to how the Lord is speaking. Maybe, maybe we hear the scripture, you know, in, in mass and we just, hear one word and forget where the gospel even came from when, you know, the priest said it when he's reading it. And, you know, we just have this kind of this lull, this lack of vision, this lack of inspiration for, you know, participating in this life of faith, you know, Mm -hmm. um, I just kind of want to bring up another example of, you know, a lack of passion that I see around, um, take what you will. Yeah. So I think there's a couple questions we had around this topic one of them that I want to look at, um, yeah, I think maybe now's a good time to look at it, but could be phrased in two, two, two ways. I think the way I originally wrote it down is how do we live out of the fullness of our passions? Um, but there was a typo and it said love. So how do we love out of the fullness of our passions, which I think is a almost maybe even better question. Um, so how, yeah, how Nick do we love out of the fullness of our passions rather than out of this yeah, these these weak desires that we have, maybe. Yeah. Um. Gosh, what a hard question, Dylan. Um. Mm-hmm. Let's see. How do we live? Did we decide whether we're going to use live or love? <laughs> Whichever one. I think it's the same thing in yeah, all reality. It really is. Um. To live is to love. Yeah. So. There has to be some. Again, there has to be some sort of vision for why I'm, I'm choosing to live, you know, in a certain direction, Mm. you know, the, the question of why has to be answered in our hearts. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, I, I really believe that's true for, you know, for just as an example, if I, you know, um, again, want to grow deeper in my prayer life and want to start praying more, say, I want to start praying 30 minutes a day and I'm not really praying at all right now. uh, Why would I do that? Why is that important? I'm not going to, put my entire energy into that if I don't understand why. So I think just understanding mm-hmm. what, you know, what you're, you know, what you're coming from um, yeah. is a, is a good, good place to start. Yeah. I think that's interesting because I think motivation matters. 
you know, I think, I think of things that I've been passionate about and before, yeah, before rooting my identity in Christ, I think the biggest thing I was passionate about and still am to an extent was baseball. And one of the things I always found is that like baseball was a really hard thing to be like the core of my existence and the core of my like, um, identity. And one of the reasons why is because if you know anything about baseball, a batter who goes three for 10, who bats 300, gets a hit three out of 10 times, is considered good. Like you can make the Hall of Fame with a 300 batting average, but you're failing seven out of 10 times. So to place your identity in a sport where you fail more than you succeed is, yeah. is not a very like healthy thing to do. And so I think, I think maybe that's similar with maybe some of our lesser passions is that we're passionate about things. Maybe we show a lot of passion about it on the outside, but really at its core, like how meaningful is it in the grand scheme of things? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. When you were saying that, uh, you're saying on the end there, we show passion. I was thinking about the number of times that I've thought about trying a new hobby or <laughs> starting something new. Yeah. And then, you know, I can probably think of 20 things, who knows how many, where I've tried to start it and it lasted about two weeks and then I quit. Yeah. You know, um, showing passion for something and a desire to do something, you have a vision for it and that's great. And then it failing in two weeks. Yeah. You know, so kind of as a segue, uh, just having a sense of natural virtue of working through something that's hard is, a, is important, you know, being hmm. virtuous and sticking with whatever you're going to be passionate about. Interesting. Even okay. when you don't feel like it, you know, um, is something I think we should discuss here. Yeah. Could you say more about that? So you say sticking with how, yeah. How does the idea of virtue relate to our passions then? Yeah. So, um, again, passion, I think we establish should have a vision or you should have a motivation, um, for why you're choosing to put forth your energy towards what you're passionate about. So answering the question of why first, right. the second thing is, um, I need to have a disposition towards doing a habit towards doing whatever it is I'm, I'm passionate mm -hmm. about. Yeah. So the example would be, Oh, great. I want to learn how to play guitar. The guitar is a beautiful instrument. Like it, you know, gives me life. Um, I, I think I'm a good singer. So, you know, I want to, you know, play guitar so I can, you know, sing and play and share that with others. Mm -hmm. Um, great, great vision. Awesome. Put your energy towards that. Um, so what happens when it's 9 30 PM and you're ready for bed and you haven't, you know, done your daily guitar practice yet two weeks in? What are you going to do? Hmm. Um, you're going to go to bed um, or are you going to play guitar? Uh, and then the next night, let's say you don't play guitar. Um, same thing happens. You're going to go to bed or you're going to play guitar. Um, so I think a lot of us, um, again, I'm, I'm not speaking about you know anyone in particular, but I think a, a lot of us would say, no, I think I'll go to bed tonight. And then it just turns into, now I'm not playing guitar anymore. So that's what mm -hmm. I mean. This this kind of this this virtue that we need right. that says, okay, in this moment, even though I don't want to, I'm gonna do it tonight. You know, right. um, we need that to be passionate about playing guitar or whatever it is you're doing. Right. right. Yeah, that's really good because I think I think that's rooted in virtue and it's rooted in freedom too. You know, because I think to be passionate without also having virtue is is kind of missing something. So like I could be passionate about um, what's, you know, the issue, maybe it's about serving the homeless. Right. But if I never like get up the courage to go serve the homeless, how passionate am I really? Right. Or how much, how much am I really, yeah, experiencing the fullness of that passion? Like it may be as a passion, but if I can never 
actually grow in it through virtue, right? Then it's it's rather fruitless. I guess that's kind of what I mean by indifference. Is that I'm not convinced someone shouting at me, you know, you know, livid about something in conversation is actually passionate about what they're being livid wow. about. You know, they're, they're wow. not. They don't. They don't act on what they. You know, they don't act on what they, um, you know, claim to be passionate about. Wow, that's um, incredible, and that's why yeah. that's why I think the saints are so good, right. because the saints are the examples of the people who did. You right. don't become a saint by being passionate about serving the poor. You become a saint by serving the poor, right? right? Absolutely. Uh, Mother Teresa is so esteemed because she dropped everything and moved to Calcutta to serve the poorest of the poor. Right. Hmm. It wasn't solely this passion. You know, good writers don't just become saints because they're good writers. Right. You know, it's how they live out of those passions yeah. that is the fullness of being human and is what makes us saints. Hmm. Yeah. So indifference is maybe having a passion but not doing anything about it. Right. Yeah. I wouldn't even use the word passion. Okay. I think we need to, for, for now on, we need to try and use the word passion just for purposes of the conversation to mean um, a... Uh, you can't just redefine a word. <laughs> well, I'm what just does kidding. it actually you mean? Can, I don't know. You, 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 you we'll kind of can. Webster, everyone. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I guess it, you know, it just means like a, I have an animation about this thing and then a virtue. That's mm -hmm. passion. You know, an animation huh. and a virtue to do it, to act on it. And what do you mean uh, by animation? I mean a... Um, um, you know, when someone is animated, like they're, right. they're an excited about it, inspired, like, yeah, okay. that kind of a thing. Right. Yeah. Okay. I guess that's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think the, the proper understanding of our human nature is important here. Right. So I think of, I always go back to, um, the idea of like the intellect, will, and desires. So the intellect shapes the will, which shapes the desires. Yeah. And I think this is, I know this is at the core because C.S. Lewis very much, you can see this in his writing. And so when he says this quote at the beginning about we're not passionate enough, he's thinking from this perspective. And what this means is that first intellect determines what is good, true and good, determines what the right thing to do. The will is that, that miraculous kind of mysterious power we have to actually choose to do the right thing or not. And then the desires come after that. So our intellect tells us what to do, our will decides, and then our desires, our lower faculties, our passions, essentially are like inclinations. They lead wow. us towards that. And, you know, the modern conception of man is that you follow your desires. And if it feels right, it's good. Go do it. The classical Christian understanding of man is, you know, you discern what's right with your intellect. You choose to do it because sometimes it actually – your passions aren't leading you towards it. Right. So sometimes you have to choose it, but in time by choosing it, your passions become more properly oriented towards the good. So to be passionate, I think, under our understanding of it, means that you have to be working in that order. Yeah. Okay. I understand now. I understand why there is a little bit of confusion. I think maybe in hindsight we should use a different word than passion. Based on what I'm based on what I'm saying, but for now we can hmm. we can roll with it. I think what you mean by passions is what you were saying the lo the lower order desires. Right? Yeah, yeah, I think I'm also just trying to build off your what you're saying about okay. passion. Right. Yeah. Right. yeah, yeah. Okay, now I'm with you. Awesome. Oh yeah, I see. I conflate it. So passions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. I see what you're saying. We'll get there. You're still my friend. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. I was worried about that. <laughs> okay. So what? I guess the question is, why are people, if people are less passionate, why? Why is that the case? 
yeah, I think we've established these, you know, this twofold thing of, you know, I have to understand why and I have to have the virtue to live out the why. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I think maybe there's more elements, but for now, we'll, you know, talk about those maybe. Sure. Um, yeah, those are missing in one capacity or the other. I don't mm -hmm. know which one we want to go down, but maybe we could talk about the why, the vision right. for, you know, why someone's doing what they're doing. Um, there's, yeah. you know, various elements. Is, uh, yeah, let, let's let's only talk about that as a general question. If you get pick anybody given, you know, any given person on the street, and we ask them why they're living the way they're living, what would they say? <laughs> well, um, it depends on how they're living. Right. Fair enough. Um, but I'm trying to think about people I know. Um. I think I think I this is where maybe I'd agree with you in that I think I know a lot of people or have known a lot of people through the years who maybe don't have that figured out. They don't have a core meaning. I think it's really popular. I think sometimes with youth, um, as you're still figuring out, but maybe it's not even a youth thing. I think a lot of adults, we see this in young adult community. Um, you know, people go to work, come home, watch Netflix, go to sleep go back to work again and maybe their job isn't even something they like that much and there's just this going through the motions of life and it's not that they don't have passions they probably have things that they they really enjoy and really give them life but they aren't necessarily doing them and they aren't um they aren't a core part of their day-to-day -day life yeah. um and so so why yeah why are people like that um gosh that's a that's a tough question. But maybe we could look into ourselves for that. Yeah. A good one. I, I think for me, one of the reasons why I'm that way, and I know I am in a lot of ways, you know, is I just grew up and did what my family was doing and didn't really think twice about doing whatever I was doing. And we, you know, that's just kind of the way we lived. And so that's the way mm -hmm. I was going to live for a long time. You know what I mean? Um, mm -hmm. There's no kind of questioning why I'm doing right. what I'm doing or whatever. I mean, it was just a, I grew up in kind of a, I don't know, sort of An going through the motions culture. kind of, yeah. And yeah. so that's what I did. I don't know well, where what, I began. I, you know, I don't know. I, I imagine you encountered something that changed that. What hmm. was that? Yeah. Um, so experiences such as Catholic heart work camp, uh, when I was in high school, mm. um, mm -hmm. very shock you out of your comfort zone kind of experience where you right. serve the, yeah. the poor and community and you go back and you, you go to mass and you go to adoration and you, you know, sorry, you engage in real community together um, over the course of a week long mission trip in the various city. Those were experiences that kind of, you know, shocked me a little bit. Um, I, I've heard of uh, Flannery O'Connor quote, uh, someone who I know we appreciate um, who referred to who were her works in a sense in which she said to the heart of hearing you shout, um, was something that she would say hmm. about her works, interesting, um, or short stories to you know to to shout people out of their comfort zones, um, you know with with yeah. very kind of you know yeah. shocking works of short stories or whatever. It's kind of similar in that sense, you know. It's like right. I, had, I had shocking out of my comfort zone experiences. People were shouting at me in my yeah. deaf ears. Um, yeah. yeah, I think that's that's a fascinating point because I think the reality is we do have to encounter something outside of ourselves that brings us outside of ourselves. Um, cause as you were saying that, I think a connection I made is just that like passionate people care about something other than themselves. Mm, amen. And so ultimately at its core, what, 
what changes that? It's relationship with God. It is grace that brings us out of our fallenness and our brokenness in order to be able to love, to love others. Um, and so ultimately that's, you know, that's what C.S. Lewis is talking about. It's, it's this encounter with something that changes the way we view everything. And I think, you know, as, you know, I study theology and theology is the study of God. The person who's interested in theology, who is, is walking the Christian faith they are naturally interested in everything in a sense. Not that I have to care. Like I don't like soccer all that much. Sorry, Nick. But like I am interested in humanity and all that humanity does because that can reveal to me something about God, which is ultimately what I'm most passionate about. And so as a theologian, I found that I'm more interested in history, in English, in um, science, in all of these things because they reveal to me Something Amen. about this this person of Jesus Christ who has changed my life. Amen. Yeah, gosh, I've noticed that in my my spiritual journey also, especially when it comes to sports and it, uh, especially when it comes to basketball in particular. I um, <laughs> I I love LeBron James. I I think he's incredible. He's a role model for me growing up, mm-hmm. and um, you know, not perfect. Lives his life in a you know imperfect way, of course. But on the basketball court, just a huge inspiration for me. Mm-hmm. Um, over the past you know, several years that I've started to really take my faith seriously, I've just like grown in inspiration and wonder at how incredible of a basketball player he is. Yeah. Um, and I credit that to, to my faith and to, you know, the Lord being right. more and more the center of my life. And I understand the beauty of that more than someone who does not have that, that center. Right. Um, and so I, yeah, I think that's so true is that once your once your root is there, um, once your root is centered in the Lord, you're, you're, um, you're, ability to go passionately towards something or to experience something more fully is, is larger. Right. So I think a similar experience for me, I love that by the way. Um, and I think I've experienced a lot of yeah similar things in that when I've grown in, like, as I've grown in my faith, I found myself, I would say I found myself more passionate. And one way I've seen that is kind of, like I said, my interest in other things. And the more interested in theology I am, the more interested I am in, in the study of everything. But also my interest in like fiction. I used to like in high school and college, like early on in my faith, like I just, I didn't care about like fiction. Like to me, it was like, it was stories. They're just stories, you know? And I wanted to read like for a while I read like mainly theology. Like I just wanted to know like truth and know the truth about God. But as I've grown, more invested in my faith and more prayerful. I've become more passionate about things like fiction. And what comes to mind is particularly, so the Brothers Karamazov. I'm glad you mentioned that. We're going to talk about this. One of my favorite books. Good. All right. This is probably the rest of the <laughs> conversation the here. <laughs> this will probably be the rest of the conversation. So Dostoyevsky. And I think it's, what do I have? Like the Barnes Noble classic or something. Me I too. might be wrong on that. Is that what it is? Yeah. Okay, great. So in... The uh, this edition of the book, the Barnes Noble Classic, the quote um, at the beginning of the book from Dostoevsky. This is like a letter he wrote to his brother. He said, um, "Let's see if I can get this right. Man is a mystery, and I'm going to butcher the rest of the quote. But essentially, he <laughs> says he says that man is a mystery, and it needs to be contemplated. Essentially, and he in this quote he describes it's a few lines long, but he describes his um." Yeah, just his fascination with humankind. Mm. But I think ultimately, I think even for Dostoevsky, who was a Christian, um, it was this this 
encounter with God ultimately that shed this new light on who, what it means to be human. Wow. And I think you see this all over his books. Um, but I think that quote really just, I think it represents what, and maybe I'll pull it up later, but it represents what fascinates me. I think about fiction, about his fiction in general, but it's just mankind. It's a mystery that needs to be discovered and contemplated. Yeah. Wow. I have a couple of things about Dostoevsky and the okay. Rose Karamazov. Go yeah. for it. Holy smokes. What an incredible book. But, um, and what a genius, by the way, Dostoevsky. Holy, wow. Mm-hmm. Um, but his foreword is the foreword of that book is absolutely brilliant. I, Ooh, I don't know if I read the foreword. <laughs> See, the, the book it. is like 750 pages. Right. So I think I might have gotten to the foreword, but like, I got to get through this book first and then maybe look back at the foreword. Right. But. Yeah. I want to talk about something he said in the foreword in a minute. Actually, okay. I wanted to mention something else beforehand. I remember Dylan and Dan and I were having a conversation when we were hiking. Uh, probably a few months ago, we were talking. I was in the middle of reading the mm-hmm. Karamazov at the moment at that time, and deep in the pandemic too. This yeah, was deep, like, well, we're still deep in it. Deep in the pandemic. This in is the like quarantine. our first time meeting up yeah. after like completely quarantining for however yeah. long we did that. Yeah. Desperate to see human beings. Yes, yeah. we were having our, our conversations, our colloquium, colloquia. Is that the is that the Latin? I think plural? that's the plural. I think it is. Good job. Take that. Anyway, so we were talking about. Uh, um, that book and Dylan was mentioning something about how, you know, a lot of people don't really like it because it's just a bunch of people. They, they claim it's a bunch of people sitting around and having a conversation, yeah, a bunch of people sitting in rooms talking. Yeah. And Dylan and I were both like, I know, isn't that awesome? <laughs> that's, both, yeah. that's both what we said. Yeah. The thing that made people think it boring was the thing that made us love it so much. Right. Um, and so I think one thing that I realized from that was, Wow, because of my relationship with the Lord and my growth and the, the conversations that I've had, I understand the value and the power of what real conversation can do, um, more so than someone else who does not have that base. Um, yeah. That was something that I, that I got from that conversation. Yeah, um, that's such a good point. I forgot about that. Yeah, it's anyway, <laughs> a funny, a funny that moment. That was a good realization for us, for <laughs> anyway, sure. Let's jump back to the forward because okay. I think it, um, he mentioned something in there that I, I want to segue into. So he's he's talking about at the beginning his you know main character his protagonist of the novel Alyosha one of the one of the um, brothers, mm-hmm. and he's talking about how a lot of times in a society, um, the eccentric person so you know let's say an eccentric kind of crazy person um, represents kind of the exception to a society, how they're you know okay society's moving along and there's an archetypal person a preferred type of person whatever but the eccentric person is you know, just kind of out there and doesn't really represent Mm -hmm. everyone else and doesn't have any truth to say about, you know, society. He says a lot of times that's the case. But what he says uh, uh, next about Alyosha in particular is he says, sometimes the eccentric person represents the very heart of the universal. Wow. Uh, The eccentric person is actually who is true and real and the other people are not. Um, Are they living a fake life? Wow. Um, So, and I would venture as to say that now is that time. Um, we need an eccentric person to break us out of our comfort zones and uh, to be true and to be real and to propel us. Right. Um, so the eccentric person is the saint. Right. And, you know, I've heard it said before that the saints reveal the true meaning of history. Hmm. And I think that's what Dostoevsky has identified. Right. Is that it, it takes eccentricity to be a saint. Right. And that's what changes the world. 
the world isn't changed by indifferent people. Yeah. It's changed by people who live out of passion for things that are good. To the heart of hearing you shout. That's, that's the, the eccentric mm. kind of, kind of mindset, you know? Um, yeah. I'll live this way and it might be weird, but it's true. Yeah. And you should live this way a little yeah. bit as well. Go read about the saints. I mean, yeah. like, even if you're not Catholic, like, just go look up a list of canonized saints and like read about them. They're crazy. I mean, they do weird things like die, or, like voluntarily <laughs> offer their life for a greater good. They do crazy things like take the shirt off their back and give it to the homeless man. They, they just live eccentrically. They up and leave their family um, and friends to go serve as missionaries. Like they do insane things and they have the courage to do it, not just think of it as some lofty ideal. Sure. A vision and the virtue to go and act on that vision. Yeah. Mm -hmm. A why and a virtue and also a grace as well. A supernatural. Absolutely. Virtue yeah. And, and that's forward. why, you know, the saints are, yeah, ultimately the saints are Catholics who are exposed to sacramental grace. Um, the habitual grace that allows us to continue to grow and all of us Christians by virtue of our baptisms have sanctifying grace, um, through that sacrament as well. And so in a certain sense, it's only possible through the supernatural, um, just as it's only possible to even breathe by the gift of God as well. Right. Amen. I digress a little. Yeah. Let's, let's maybe just to, to wrap up, let's talk about how on earth we can, you know, ourselves, uh, become more passionate human beings, uh, maybe in a practical sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't know if you have immediate thoughts here. Yeah. So I, I do want to, I did magically get the quote in front of me. So let me read that. Oh, from uh, uh, just to get, get us the precise reading of it. Um, and we'll come full circle and talk about practicals as well. Lay it on us. So he says, man is a mystery. It needs to be unraveled. If you spend your whole life unraveling it, don't say that you've wasted time. I'm studying that mystery because I want to be a human being. That's my oh, favorite yeah. quote. That's a, I mean, that's a terrible quote. No, okay. <laughs> um, uh, dang it. I, I was so excited about that. And then you just crushed my, my dreams. Okay. But anyway, man is a mystery. It needs to be unra unraveled. And if you spend your life studying that mystery, you've not wasted time. Hmm. And so amazing. Yeah. And there's just something amazing about being human. Yeah. Um, and to be human in relationship with the God who created you brings that just to a whole new yeah. level of fascination, I think. Wow. Yeah. Roll tide. Am I right? For all of our out of, out of state listeners, roll tide. Our uh, live studio audience just face oh, okay. at that. Sorry. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Even Doris didn't like that. <laughs> Oh my gosh. It's going to be a great season. Anyway, we're going to talk about practicals. Oh. Yeah, something more practical than Alabama football. Um, go ahead. Do you, do you have something? Gosh, Nick, you know, this practical is funny because I, you know, I'm, a, I'm an abstract guy. I like practicals, but I, I you know, my Myers-Briggs, I'm like very strong on the N for intuition. So I love like big ideas and concepts. And so I'm tempted to just leave it at that and just be like, nope, man's a mystery. Go <laughs> contemplate it. It's, it's great. Um, Let, let's see. Let's do this. Let's leave our listeners with a question that can help them seek out the answer to how they can grow. Do you have that question? Um, no, I was hoping you would provide. 
<laughs> no, I got it. I got it. Let's see. I'm, I can I can make something up. Um. Yeah, here we go. It's multiple. Maybe as just a starting point. It's just to become a more passionate human being. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to become mm-hmm. more human. Um, what's one thing, one hobby that I just felt really inspired to to learn or to you know mm-hmm. to grow in or to improve upon? Maybe it's you know the mm-hmm. obvious example that I use is like playing the guitar or you know learning to you know draw or you know that kind of a thing. Okay, just a, just a hobby that you know you would you would you would love and you have a vision for, et cetera. What's one step I can take to make that a reality? Um, just to become more of a human being. Yeah. How's that? Is that fair? Yeah, I like that. Okay. I like that. Cool. Your face doesn't really say that you like it. So, I mean, are you, are you, are you no, because I, I think I was tempted to rephrase it, but I'm like, no, I'm not going to rephrase a good question that Nick just asked. All right. So I'm not cool. going to. All right. Yeah, yeah. Dylan was giving me the frown. I was just making sure we were. No, it was good. I was, was still content. Cool. I'm still contemplating this whole thing. Really, it's yeah. just so deep. <laughs> Like Alyosha, like we could have, I mean, oh, man. even talking about him, like you have that line or that one passage that you like where it talks about Alyosha. Do you know what I'm talking about? Um, there's several, so you're going to have to elaborate. It, it has to do with the eccentricity um, hmm. and how it talks about like how he lived in a very eccentric manner and it said it like took that to like shake people out of their indifference. Hmm. Do you remember what I'm talking about? I mean, I was saying this, that like 15 minutes ago. But, but there was like a quote. It was like specifically describing Alyosha in that book that talked about that too. Y'all, I have no idea what you're saying, boy. Somewhere in the midst of all the, <laughs> the people in the rooms talking, they had a good line about that. Oh, anyway, cool. yeah, I was hoping you'd bring it up. It's all right. It is, it is what it is. You want to restate your question just for um, closure on this? I'm just playing with you, man. You're still my friend. Um, let's see. So I guess – What's one thing that uh, I feel like everyone has one of these things that they've always wanted to kind of undergo or to, to grow in or to yeah. learn, so on and so forth? A dream, a desire. Yeah. yeah. Maybe it's a virtue. Maybe I want to be more courageous. Maybe mm-hmm. I want to ask that girl, that girl out I haven't asked out, whatever. Um, <laughs> oh God, I got a phone call from one of my friends there. No, <laughs> Sorry, you're a friend. Um, whatever it is. Um, what's one step that I can take to grow? Um in that hobby or that Great. virtue, et cetera. What's one yeah. step I can take to, to make that a reality? Great. So instead of giving you practicals in this episode, we've flipped the tables on you. It's your job to figure it out. We're just asking the provocative yeah. questions. We have no idea what the answers are. So um, shoot us an email with the answers. <laughs> Great. Happy to yeah. attack them. <laughs> As always, please reach out. Our e- email is colloquiumshow at gmail.com. Honestly, this is, I think it's a great topic. Um, indifference. I'll give you more passion and ultimately take it to prayer too. That's probably what I'd leave you with as well. Um, Cause prayer I think is where you can experience the fullness of desire of emotion and passion. Um, so yeah, go pray about it. Go start those conversations. Ask yourself the questions we've proposed. This has been our colloquium. Go have good conversations yourself.
Shall 